Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Uh, Good evening. It's great to have you with us this Monday evening and welcome once again to In Context on truthfm.uk. This is the radio show where we look at a passage of scripture and where we'll always aim to look at things within their context. You can find us here on internet radio by going to truthfm.uk or on the truth.fm app or maybe you're listening to this a little later on a podcast. Well, however you got here, it's jolly good to have you with us once more. My name is Patrick. I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. He's my teacher, and I'm learning to follow him throughout life's journey. And we are on a journey together each Monday evening, traveling through the writings of Luke. Last time we were together, you may recall, we witnessed the birth of John, the one that was to go and prepare the way for the Most High. Of course, when I say that we witnessed his birth, we really did no such thing, because this is the wireless, Uh, and it happened an awfully long time ago, but you get the idea. And then we listened to his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying through his hymn or his psalm, however you like to refer to it, and that which we sometimes call the Benedictus. Uh, God's plan is seen in this as coming to fulfillment, both through the Messiah and also through the prophet who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. But now, now we enter into the second of these infancy narratives, which begins in what is now the second chapter of the book. And Luke begins by setting the action within an historical context. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them 
in the inn. Absolutely marvellous. There's so much going on here and so much that we could consider. But it's so important that we don't lose sight of the wood for the trees. What has just happened is absolutely amazing. A child has been born, but unlike any other child that has ever come into this world, this was the very Son of God, the Creator of all heaven and earth. And we're simply told she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Never before had God and mankind been so intimately acquainted in uh, such a, a profound and absolute manner as this. Never before had heaven and earth been so connected, as it were, as at that moment. And where does it all take place? Oh, in a stable. Well, that is, if you believe the typical nativity story, but there's no mention of a stable um, or of lowing cattle. Uh, no, I said no mention of cattle lowing to be found anywhere in the text. Well, before we say a little more about the physical circumstances of the birth, I want to say something of the decree from Caesar Augustus concerning the registration or census under the governor Quirinius. Much has been said concerning this census, we know that Augustus, or Octavian as he was first known, we know that he reigned as Roman Emperor from 27 BC until his death in AD 14. As for the date of this census, well, it presents something of a conundrum. Indeed, some have questioned the role of Quirinius in this and the, the actual extent of the census, but this is neither the time nor place to consider these things. As I suggested, a, a great deal has already been written on the matter. I am more than happy to take Luke's record as being more reliable than that of any other ancient writer, and there is absolutely no reason why he would tell us something if it wasn't what actually happened. And the reason he tells us about this census is to explain how Joseph and Mary ended up where they did at the time the baby was to be born, in order to place Joseph and Mary in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. 
This is where Messiah was to be born, according to the prophets. And God happily uses a political census in order to accomplish his plan. And this certainly wasn't the first time that he had done such a thing. Well, as we mentioned earlier, there are very few details given about the physical circumstances of the birth. Indeed, tradition seems to have supplied us with far more than what we have written. There's no donkey, uh, no frantic search for accommodation, not even an innkeeper. In fact, there are so few details provided that any children's nativity play would be awfully short were not more details to be invented. And most of the drama we have witnessed over the years, most of it is likely centred around two words. The first is that the baby Jesus was laid in a manger. The second is that there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the idea of a stable comes from the presence of a manger or a feeding trough. A feeding trough would suggest the presence of animals, and animals are associated with stables. So it seems a perfectly reasonable connection, particularly if there was no room at the local inn. But the word which is often translated as in is a word with a variety of meanings associated with a variety of forms of lodging. Luke actually uses the same word later in his gospel when speaking of making arrangements for the Passover. He tells Peter and John to ask the master of the house into which a man carrying a jar of water has entered, to ask him, where is the guest room? And that's the same word that's usually translated as in, in the passage we're looking at today. i know that I've just mentioned a certain Peter and John, so um, uh, I probably should have said something about a spoiler alert. I'm guessing you might have heard of them before, but if not, well, they are coming a little bit later on in uh, this book. Uh, so yes, yes, asking where is the guest room, they're using that same word, which in the passage we're looking at, today is usually translated as in. But bearing in mind that Joseph and Mary have travelled to Bethlehem because it was his family's hometown, it seems highly unlikely that they would not have sought shelter with a, a relative. In light of there possibly being a number of other relatives also visiting for the purpose of this census, uh, 
Well, it's quite feasible that the guest room was already occupied, so there was no place for them there. And this would easily explain why they might have had to take shelter in a lower room, which was typically used for animals. Examples of this kind of, of house in this part of the world have been found. So being there at the time of giving birth, it makes sense that the newborn baby would have been laid in a feeding trough in order to keep him off the floor. And this would explain why Luke doesn't mention an innkeeper, because there was no inn in the story. It was a guest room in which there was no place, so they had to share accommodation with the livestock, who rather generously shared their feeding trough with the Son of God. Now, it should be said that the vivid contrast between the birth narrative of Jesus and that of John is surely not accidental. Where the, the latter was uh, publicly announced in the capital city of Jerusalem and involved a priest of the temple, that of Jesus was far more subdued and of particularly humble circumstances. But what was to happen next was quite simply and quite literally, out of this world. Well, in order to get a better appreciation of the scene, I think we ought to go out into the fields where we will meet some shepherds. Now, with the exception of Mary and Joseph, these shepherds are the first of many uh, whom Luke introduces into his narrative, showing us that God is more than happy to be at home among ordinary people. And it is to them that this great announcement is made. I mean, just, just think about this. Parents of newborn babies are generally very selective as to who they first tell the news of the arrival of the baby. You know, maybe you've had that sort of discussion yourself. You know, who do we tell before we post the news onto social media? And although Facebook may not have been an option 2,000 years ago, I'm sure that it was no accident that God first made known the good news to shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, shepherds may not have been despised, but they were certainly not held in particularly high regard. They were generally considered to be rather common people, and yet it is to them 
not to some official, not to some scholar or priest, not to anyone of any significance, but to shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, to whom God first shares this wonderful news. Here's what Luke has to say. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This scene is simply incredible. I mean, there's there's no beating around the bush here. This newborn child is none other than a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Deliverer, King and Master, the one for whom the Jewish nation have longed for centuries. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. How remarkable! Luke immediately returns us back down to earth, as it were, and he continues with the story. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Yet again, Luke revisits the theme of promise and fulfilment. All they had seen and heard was just as it had been told to them it would be. God is always faithful and true to his word. And this word was about to spread far and wide. Remember a little over a year earlier, a crowd at the temple in Jerusalem had witnessed the effects of the angel's first visit as Zechariah emerged, unable to speak. 
Then, just a few months ago, this same priest uh, miraculously recovered his speech, and Luke tells us that these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. And now, all who heard what the shepherds had been told were wondering at these things. They may well not have been in the middle of the bustling capital city of Jerusalem, but this word was going to spread far and wide. Seed is being sown, as it were, and the people of the land are being prepared. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I've wondered why does Luke tell us this, and, and how did he know? Of course, God could simply have planted it in his mind, but that's not how these things often work. Had he interviewed Mary at some stage? Had she shared with him the thoughts of her heart? I suppose Luke is recording this to express the humanity of Mary and how that so much was yet so unclear to her. I mean, she hadn't read to the end of the book, and she must have wondered what on earth would all of this mean. But whatever it was to mean, whatever it would come to, she would trust in God regardless. And that's the sound of the mission bell, meaning it's our mission segment of the week. Time to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage we're looking into each Monday evening. And remember, when we think of mission, we want always to be thinking first of the mission of God, and then consider our place within his mission. And as we've probably said before, and we might say again, it's not the people of God who have a mission, it's the mission of God that has a people. Well, the faithfulness of God in fulfilling his mission is yet again clearly seen in this passage. The birth of the Christ child proves to be such a pivotal point in the history of mankind, one that enables God to reveal himself to the world in all his glory and yet participate in the lives of even the most wretched and poor among us. And in the midst of this somewhat squalid scene, we find such hope and joy, the likes of which the world has seldom seen. It was to be uh, several decades before the emergence of John and then Jesus upon the public stage. But already there was much talk and much wondering going on in the minds 
and in the hearts of those who heard. In the absence of the kinds of trivia which today might do the rounds on social media, these matters would have been discussed in the homes, rumoured in the streets, and gossiped in the marketplaces of Judea and beyond. Any who heard could not have kept quiet, and though details and recollections might not have been altogether reliable, we can be sure that the hopes and anticipations of the people had only been intensified by such news. And it wasn't that people had been told to tell others. You don't get people to tell others by telling them to tell others. You get people to tell others by telling them something which is simply out of this world, something which is almost too good to be true, something about which one simply cannot remain quiet. That's how you do it. Thirty-five years ago, this very day, eh? this very day, thirty-five years ago, I became a dad. I'd never been one before, but the birth of my firstborn child changed everything. It gave me a, a new aspect of identity. I, I won't go into all the details, unless if you'd like me to. No, I won't go into all the details, but I'll tell you, I was over the moon. No other single event in the course of my life, uh, maybe there might be one or two, but really no other single event in the course of my life has made me, had made me as happy as I was that day 35 years ago. My daughter, Shanae, had arrived at midnight on the dot, and it was a precise trend that she's followed through her life. Well, the following morning, I headed home from the hospital, and I remember telling everyone I met that I now had the most precious gift God had ever given anyone. I mean, I told everybody. Uh, it was as if no one had ever experienced such a thing before, and though I was greeted with many smiles and congratulations, I suspect that some might have thought there was something a little wrong with me. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nobody told me to tell anyone. They, they didn't need to. I knew that this was such an amazing thing which God had done in my life. To make me a, a dad, to give me such a beautiful little baby, to make us a, a family, if you like. Nothing, nothing could have stopped me from telling everyone I met along the way. You see, here's the thing. You don't get people to tell others by telling them to tell others. 
you get people to tell others by telling them something about which they simply cannot remain quiet. Well, as we come to the end of this week's edition of In Context, uh, do let me know your thoughts. Um, uh, you can message us on Facebook. Look out for the truthfm.uk page. Um, or you can tweet us at, at truthfm.uk or you can email me at patrick at truthfm.uk. Uh, all kinds of different ways to get in touch or they're not. But I'd love to hear from you, um, your thoughts as to how things are going with a still relatively newly launched programme. Um, ideas that you might have or or questions, um, let me have them. Um, but until next week, let me um, let me wish you God's richest blessings. May He bless each one of us that we might be a blessing to those around us. And thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.